Amen. Well, good morning. My name is Kyle Collins. I'm the communities pastor here at Pulpit Rock, and I'm excited to be with you for Advent. I don't know about all of you. I did not grow up with Advent. That wasn't a, a thing that was practiced, that we didn't use that sort of language. And so my Christmas tradition often consisted of just reading the Bible story on Christmas morning, uh, maybe a nativity laid out. But there's something for me about the journey of Advent, these candles of hope, peace, joy, and love, and taking the weeks before to just meditate and reflect that's been so meaningful to me over the past 10 years or so in my walk with God. I think over the last few weeks, we've been in this posture of reflecting as we looked at portraits of hope and portraits of peace. And this week, as we come towards the week of Christmas, we shift from reflection to preparation. We shift from longing to anticipation. Christmas is coming. Christ has come and the kingdom of God is here. And there's cause for celebration and there's cause for joy. And the stories that we read about Jesus' birth, they're filled with hints. They're filled with hints about what his life will mean for you and what his life will mean for us. I think that's significant, though, that this portrait of joy, that it falls on the third week of Advent instead of the first. There's something about the longing and the yearning that precede it that I think makes this week so much more poignant and meaningful. I think it can be really difficult to find. And I don't know about you, if I'm honest, my heart this Christmas season, I feel like my heart last year too, it's, joy's been harder to find. I know many of us are feeling that this morning, and I want to acknowledge that. We grieved together even this week the loss of Brian Manzanares. Uh, Brian died in a freak accident at his home on Monday. And I think to many of us, uh, to his small group of guys on Wednesday night, uh, to us as a church body, it, joy feels far off. And for his wife, Laura, and his sons, Levi and Todd, his older kids, Briley and Braxton, the rest of his family, joy feels really far off. I think it's fitting this year that the psalms we've chosen happen to all be psalms of lament. And if you remember, lament is this, this reflection on life as it should be and how it doesn't feel that way and how we cry and bring those things out to God. And we say, God, this is not as it should be. Where are you? What are you doing? I think portrait of joy that we're going to read this morning, there is something for each of us. I think we see a picture of a God who sees us, a God who cares. We see a picture of Emmanuel, God with us. But I just want to start this morning, before we even jump in, um, with, a, with a prayer. Would you pray with me? In light of that heaviness, I want to pray specifically for the Manzanares family, and I want to pray for each of us, uh, for us that, that feel that joy is far off. Father, we cling to the truth and to the hope of Emmanuel, God with us. When there's things that we don't understand and uh, when we're wrecked with the reality of a world that is not as it should be, we look to Emmanuel, God with us. We look for joy's arrival this Christmas. We ask that you would help us to remember a God who is with us. Would you help us to see a God who has been present with us? And would we remember who you are and who you've been? And may that shape our future hope and our present reality. Amen. 
Well, today we're going to look at Psalm 126. And as you recall, we've been in these, uh, these psalms as we build these portraits of hope, peace, and joy, uh, and next week with uh, Christmas Eve with love. And so Psalm 126 is the psalm that we're going to reflect upon today. Psalm 126 was a communal lament, and it was meant to be sung or read aloud together. And so I want to do this. Would you stand with me? I was going to have you sing this aloud, but that might be a little charismatic for this group. Um, But so instead, what if we just read this psalm aloud together? Could you do that? If you're comfortable just standing with me, I'd love to read this psalm aloud together and let it just frame uh, our morning. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy. Then they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. We are glad. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negev. Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. That was good. You can be seated. You know, what's fascinating to me about this psalm is that it is absolutely a joyful cry of praise and thanksgiving for what God has done. But it's also a lament. There's an asking of God to show up in a fresh way, in a new way. I think there's a lot here that can be helpful for us, but first I want to acknowledge the reality of that tension. Do you feel it? I like to call it the now and not yet. Have you heard that expression before? If not, I think you'll relate to the tension. It's so much of what we see in the world around us. It can be described and summed up by this now and not yet. You know, I think engagement might be a helpful example. If you can remember... uh, just what that was like, or if you have a friend that's been engaged, you're in this awkward in-between. You've pledged your heart to someone. You're fully in. At this moment, you've literally committed yourself. You've gotten on a knee. You're beginning to plan your life together. So much of the conversation is about the future and all that's coming, and yet the fullness of the intimacy of marriage, it's not, it's not yet. It's right now, and it's not yet. It's this awkward in-between. Listen to the words of the psalm. God, you have restored us. You have filled our mouths with laughter and our tongues with shouts of joy. You have done great things. You have delivered. We remember the joy. I mean, it was like we were dreaming. But we're in need of you to deliver and restore us again. We're sowing the seeds of the kingdom with weeping. It's hard. We need you to meet us here, to bear fruit from the sowing, to return our joy. We're waiting on your promise. See, the kingdom of God has come, and yet its fullness has not yet been realized. God has revealed himself to us, yet we haven't seen fully. He has promised to redeem and to restore all things, and yet we wait with longing 
in anticipation for the fullness of that promise to be realized. You know, as Thomas shared last week, we do not do well with the waiting. In fact, I think so much of the comfort and the convenience of the world that we live in is centered around not waiting. If you think about all the technological advancements of just modern times, so much of it has made things quicker, faster, to save us time. Almost every instance of waiting in our life we see as unwelcomed. I want you to think about that for a minute. Think about a time of waiting that would be welcomed. Almost every instance we see is unwelcomed. And so waiting for us, it has become almost unbearable. You know, I was reflecting on this in my own life. I, I think pregnancy is one of a handful of things that we're required to wait for. Like there's not much of an option, right? Um, there's something about pregnancy. Uh, when Janae was pregnant with Logan, it's not that life stopped for us. You know, we had uh, the usual things to do, but her growing belly was this constant reminder of what was to come. There was nothing we could do to hasten it or prolong it. There was no fast forward. There was no shortcut. We could only prepare and wait. I think this is the kind of longing that Paul speaks of in Romans 8. He says, we know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what he already has? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. Advent makes us wait. It makes us wait and take note that this is how God chose to come into our world, not in a flash from the sky, but in the seed of the womb of a woman. And after thousands of years of waiting, the Messiah finally comes, and then there's more waiting. It's now, and it's not yet. Here's an uncomfortable truth. Joy is experienced so much more deeply when we're made to wait for the thing that we long for. Joy is experienced so much more deeply when we're made to wait for the thing that we long for. And I think joy is a really interesting thing. We mistake joy sometimes for happiness, but joy and happiness are not the same thing. I think happiness often follows and accompanies joy, but it's different. Happiness is circumstantial. And it ebbs and it flows and it changes based upon the season and, and just where we are in life, the things happening around us. But joy, joy is this abiding delight in someone or something that you love. Joy is not bought. It's a gift that we receive. It's something that we experience and it's different than happiness. In the season of life for me, there's been a number of new ways that I've been experiencing and receiving joy. I wanted to share one of them with you this morning.
think we need to watch that again. You want to do it? Come on. One more time. wasn't me being mean, putting him in the corner. That was a game that we were playing. That was why he was laughing. Oh my gosh. I mean, I'm biased, but right? <laughs> you know, in this video, and I think in Psalm 126, the reason I wanted to show this is there's this fundamental principle about joy that we have to understand. Joy is not acquired. It is experienced. Much like grace, joy is this gift that we receive. And opposed to any false sense of joy that we try and acquire for ourselves, true joy, it's not acquired by more of our effort. We can't control it. We can't manufacture it. We can't tell it what to do. It can't be bought at any price. True joy, it's experienced. It's a gift that we receive. Just three days after receiving a call, that my dad was killed in a car accident on his way to work. I walked into a doctor's office, and I met Logan on a screen for the first time. I was the saddest that I had ever been in my entire life. There was nothing about that day or the circumstances around it that was happy. There was nothing happy about that moment. In fact, I I felt guilty that I wasn't more happy. I felt guilty that... um, I think angry that grief had stolen this moment, this happy moment that I'd been looking forward to and that I'd been expecting. But in that moment, I also experienced joy. And when I watch my son laugh and giggle in delight, I experience and I receive joy. It's nothing that I've done. I just experience it as I watch him delight. We can be sad and we can be grieving and we can still receive the gift of joy. Our world can be broken and not as it should be, and we can still experience the gift of joy. We can be waiting and we can be longing, and we can still receive the gift of joy. Advent is a journey to joy. It is. It's a journey to joy. But it's not we who are traveling. Joy is coming to us. Joy is coming to us. You know, Thomas shared that the Psalms, they can be like banks of a river, and they can help give us guides as we offer and carry our laments to God. In light of that, I think there's some things in Psalm 126 that can be particularly helpful to us as we bring our laments to God. The first is this. I just want you to notice the order of the Psalm. The first half, it affirms who God is, how he's acted in the past, It begins with praise and with thanksgiving. It's this proclamation of who he is and what he's done. And then it shifts to a cry for help. There's this longing for God to show mercy as he's done in the past. And I think this order of things is significant. How often in the midst of our pain do we bring our limits to God and our focus is on our current circumstances and our situation. I need you to show up in this, Lord. I need you to intercede. Restore me. 
It can be so easy in those moments to forget who God is and how he's acted in the past. And I think there's great freedom for us to bring our raw, unfiltered emotion to God and just to be honest about what we're feeling and thinking. But I also just want to recognize the fact that we can so easily forget who he is and who we're talking to. A God who loves us and cares, who's, who's been merciful in the past. I think when we skip that first part of remembering God, we begin to have this skewed picture of him. But by anchoring our lament in remembrance and in joyful celebration of who he's been, how he's shown up in the past, it totally reframes the narrative for us. We see a God who is with us in our lament. We see a God who is sees all of our sowing and our weeping. We see a God who grieves with us the unmet expectations, the unfulfilled longings and hopes. More than we need our circumstances to change, we need Emmanuel. We need God with us. And I think there's a final thing in Psalm 126 that's worth noting. And this, this psalm, it, it wasn't sung alone as a private lament to God. It, it was a communal lament. And so it was meant to be sung aloud with others. Isn't that interesting? That this psalm was something that would be done together, to be read aloud. In fact, this particular psalm, it was one of the psalms of ascent. And it's a collection of psalms that pilgrims would sing as they would make their way up to Jerusalem, up to the Holy Hill during festivals. And these pilgrims would sing these psalms of ascent, remembering who God is, remembering how he's acted in the past, asking for him to come and to meet them. You know, I've been asking myself the past few weeks, what is it about this particular psalm? Why was it chosen as one to be echoed over and over and over again? Why was it this psalm that was chosen to be proclaimed together as a community? Listen again to the words as I read them aloud. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dreamed. Our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongues with shouts of joy. They said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. We are glad. Do you hear the joy? The uncontainable can't keep it to myself sort of amazing proclamation of what God did. It was meant to be sung and shouted. This wasn't some token remembrance. It meant something to these people. It meant something to their community. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negev. Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping Bearing the seed for sowing shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. Restore us, O Lord. Do it again. Meet us where we are. Although we are weeping, help us keep sowing the seeds of your kingdom. May the nation say again, he has done great things. But you notice something about this lament as they declare it aloud? There was an expectation there was an anticipation that God would do what he said that he would do. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy. There was expectation. There was anticipation. I don't know exactly why this particular psalm was chosen, but here's what I do know. This is what I feel like I've experienced in my life. 
especially in times of lament. I need others to help me remember who God is and how he's acted in the past. I need others to help me frame my lament and remember a God who sees and cares. And especially in times of lament, when I'm hurting and in pain, I need others to help me experience and receive the gift of joy. Like this is how God has set up the thing, that he allows us to receive and experience joy through others and in community. It's by his design. And there's power in declaring these things aloud with other people. There's power in declaring our laments aloud, and there's power in bringing people in to the places we're hurting and experiencing pain and allowing people to speak into those moments with us. So what do we do with this? How do we prepare for Christmas this week? How do we ready ourselves for joy's arrival? Let me offer maybe a few questions that you could take, just this consideration, something to reflect upon this week. And as we march towards Christmas and all the chaos and busyness and excitement, let me ask you this question. When have you recently experienced abiding delight in something or someone you love? When have you experienced joy? When have you received that recently? You know, it's so easy to focus on all that is wrong in our world, all that is wrong with our circumstances. But how have you seen joy coming? Is there a way that you can meditate upon it and celebrate that joy with others? You know, what songs need to be sung in your house this Christmas? How has joy come to you this year? I also think there's something about the psalm and the way it's ordered and structured that's helpful for us. There's great power in the permission to lament to God and to, and to come to him, as I said. But in light of Psalm 126, is there a place that you need to reframe a lament to God? Now, Thomas mentioned the first week of Advent, that there's a resource on our website that helps you write your own personal lament. Uh, but as you're doing this, have you allowed your lament and your view of God to be shaped by who he is and how he's acted in the past? It's so easy to focus our lament on our circumstance, on our pain. When we miss the bigger picture of God, sometimes we just need to see more of him in those moments. We need to see Emmanuel, God with us. This week we celebrate this march towards Christmas. Christ has come, and the impossible has been made possible through Christ. God has promised to complete that which he has started, both in our own lives and in the world around us. Joy has come, and it's coming again. Let me pray for us. Father God, we are grateful that you chose to just come and live with us, and be with us. And what we celebrate on Christmas is your coming, your arrival. And it has changed everything on this earth and for us. And God, in the midst of pain, in the midst of a world that is not as it should be, in the ways that we so genuinely and honestly just hurt and carry the weight of this place, would you help us to remember that you are here that you are beside us, that you are with us.
that you will finish what you started. Can we celebrate joy's arrival? Would you help us to do that? Would you allow us to experience and receive this gift of joy? We recognize that it's not something we get for ourselves or acquire or work at. And so just help us to receive this gift of joy this Christmas. And may it overflow to all the things that we do in our lives. Amen.